Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Violet. Hey, hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Good, good. You just came back from the US, right? Yes, I did. Like, super long trip, yes. <laughs> yes, and we are in the office of lunch, actually. First, full disclosure, I'm an investor of the company, yep. but I really wanted to talk to Violet because she's an extraordinary entrepreneur and also a woman leader. So she's currently the CEO and co-founder of Lunch, actually, together with her husband, Jamie, as well. So I know a lot about your career. I wanted to get you on the show and talk about the dating industry in Asia Pacific. The first thing I want to ask about your career is, how do you get started with your career? You started from investment banking and then you moved to the dating industry and worked there for more than 10 years already, right? In the dating industry, yes. This is our 12th year actually. Wow. No, I wasn't in investment banking, but I, I was in uh, working in a bank. How did I get started? It's fairly random if you think about it because I have a law degree. <laughs> I read law at University of Manchester and then I did a master's in London School of Economics. My first job was actually as a MA, Management Associate with Citibank Singapore. Mm. How I stumbled onto the dating industry really was, it goes something like this. I was working in the bank and then I realised that a lot of my colleagues were single and not dating and I was quite curious because, you know, bankers being bankers, they are quite like, eligible, attractive people. At the same time, quite a number of my other friends were getting married, getting engaged. I'm like, hmm, that's strange, you know, because like both groups were about the same age. So why is it that one group is not even dating and the other group is like getting married? So I did a bit of investigation and I realized that the group that's getting married and engaged are actually the ones that found someone at school or at university. And that's actually where I met my husband, Jamie, as well. So I realized that if you sort of miss the opportunity of meeting someone at school or at university, it gets increasingly more difficult to actually find the right one. And about the same time, I came across the concept of lunch dating. So lunch dating is something that has been very popular in UK, in US, in Australia. But back then, 12 years ago, like in uh, 2003, 2004, nobody was doing anything like that in Singapore. In fact, that time, the only options you had if you were like single was like probably you know like the traditional matchmakers in Chinatown which I guess like professionals were not looking uh, to do that or maybe there were just some speed dating events so I thought lunch dating was really cool because what I observed about my colleagues were that they might work really long hours you know like starting work really early and then like going home really late but usually they don't really miss out on their lunch time you know they usually would like take a midday break go, go hang out with their colleagues with their friends so I thought you know instead of like always eating with your friends your colleagues your lunch khakis, why not just you know take a lunch hour in a month and meet someone they have never met before and who knows something might actually come out of it. I was really excited when I came across that idea and I think the other thing that really attracted me to it is that I've always been very active in community service work so I feel that this is not just like any other business you know it's like a business that can make money but at the same time help people as well. That was how in the year 2004 I decided to quit my job much to my parents uh, horror <laughs> and uh, started the business so you started with a corporate career, then you do lunch actually yes. for the 12 years. What yes. are the kind of interesting career lessons that you have learned? In these 12 years, wow, I've learned so many lessons, I really don't know where to start. Maybe you can talk about three of the most interesting ones. I think one of the earlier ones that I've learned was that never be afraid to ask, be really thick skin about it. <laughs> so I, I remember... 
how I actually met my mentor, my business mentor is Miss Claire Chiang, and I actually met her on a radio show. I actually invited myself onto the radio show, which I think like is probably quite unheard of. People are like, oh, I'm, are you serious you did that? So what, what happened was we were like early in our business then, and then like a friend heard that apparently like 938, which is a, a radio station here in Singapore, they, they are going to have a segment on matchmaking, and then Miss Claire Chiang then was the chairperson of Romancing Singapore. So anyways, my friend was like, yeah, you know, I, I think he was probably just joking. What, why don't you try to get yourself onto the show? And I'm like, hmm, okay. I thought like, what's the worst thing that can ever happen? Like, probably they'll just say no. So I wrote into the producer and I introduced myself, say what I was doing, and then she was like, yeah, yes, come, come join us. That was actually our first radio interview. So that, that that's what I've learned really, like, don't be afraid to ask, just be really thick-skinned about it, and what's the worst thing that can ever happen? So in the Silicon Valley sense, you are the classic hustler. <laughs> <laughs> learned leadership or management the hard way. So when I when I first started, I was like 24 years old. And then before that, I was working in the bank. And obviously, I wasn't in any leadership position. Then I was like an entry-level staff. And when we first started a business, like anybody we hired would have been like same age as me or like older than me. And I had no management experience whatsoever. So I did like the classic mistake that most new managers do, which is, you know, like, I started being like super nice. I'm like, okay, you know, like probably if I'm so nice to them, them, I'm their friend and then it's just going to work, they are going to like, you know, get things done. Obviously, I, I learned the hard way that that didn't work. Then I swung to the other side of the pendulum and I became this like crazy boss, you know, like really autocratic. Obviously, that didn't work as well. You know, after a couple of years, I managed to find a balance where you, you need to be a friend, but at the same time, you need to be really firm about things as creating systems, processes, creating that sense of accountability. I, I think, you know, I'm a place right now, I'm in a place right now where I'm quite comfortable with leadership and you know, managing a team of uh, about close to 100 people. That's very interesting. Coming back, because you already talked about the story of how you and Jamie started mm -hmm. lunch, actually. Yeah. Maybe tell me, what are the initial challenges you face in growing the company? Mm -hmm. And subsequently, you also move it towards a tech focus mm -hmm. for the company. Yeah, that's right. When I first started this business with Jamie, and I told my friends that I'm going to do this, like, I think they just all thought I was crazy, seriously. <laughs> so, I was 24, and like most of my friends were about the same age as well. And then they are like... Who would need a dating service? You know, it's like anybody who need a dating service are like probably losers. You know, like people who can't find someone on their own. And why would you want to work with people like that? So actually, you know, it's probably not just my friends. I think there's just a huge stigma surrounding this industry in, in Asia. Then, like people are just thinking that if anybody even think about using a dating service, there must be something wrong with them. And it was a big stigma that we have to overcome. We actually had a problem even finding an office space to start off with. Like, the first building that we wanted to rent is like you know a, a really nice building at first the owner like was really excited to rent it out but once they heard from our agent like what we were doing exactly yeah exact words to our agent was something like um i'm sorry but i think your client's uh, business is too advanced for us <laughs> so the rest of the people in that building ironically they are you know like lawyers you know like bankers i'm like okay great but i mean we, we did find another office building eventually another thing that we had to overcome was actually we we wanted to advertise in the newspaper then we wanted to advertise in the broadsheet the main page not the, the classifieds and then they said no no you have to advertise in the classifieds and we're like but that's what we're trying to differentiate ourselves from and they say no I'm sorry you can't and I'm like oh my goodness you know we have set up this business now we have a nice office and then you know we need to tell people about what we are doing but you know, actually don't let us advertise but fortunately 
managed to find uh, this other newspaper and then I always look back and I joke about it. I, I was thinking probably because this salesman, you know, maybe he had a quota to hit that month or something, you know. <laughs> you can't buy multiple insertions. You can only like buy one and we'll see what happens, you know. Like if nobody complains, then maybe you can continue. So we put out the, the ad. The next day, like, you know, like so many people call, right? And we had a lot of calls from other newspaper as well who was like, oh, you know, why, why don't you advertise with us? And I was like thinking to myself, yes, we tried. <laughs> Those, those were some of the early challenges and of course you know like with a lot of new businesses like we, we had a very steep learning curve like we we almost like marketed ourselves to death we did raise uh, uh, some money when we first started so um, how we started was that Jamie and I put in our savings and then we actually managed to find an investor we, we went a bit crazy like we advertised in newspaper in like radio in every, everything I think basically we, we, we tried everything but being very new to the business we, we didn't do much tracking so we, we we're not sure like what was working and what wasn't working so that that was a very big lesson that we learned and then you subsequently focus on technology yeah and that's probably how i ended up becoming an investor <laughs> of the company yes, full yes. disclosure yes, so yes. i thought it would be interesting because uh, one of the things i noticed over the years you yeah. all think a lot not just on using technology to engage consumers but also technology within the company to yes. to improve efficiency and yes, productivity yes, yes. so maybe you can talk a little bit about that okay so maybe we can talk about the first part first mm-hmm. like how we use uh, technology to increase efficiency. I, th- I think one of the secret source of lunch actually when we first started was really our CRM. This being a very uh, niche industry, we, we did try, we were like, oh, you know, is there any CRM out there that we can just buy off the shelf and use? And, and we did. I think we just randomly bought one and then realized that it totally does not work for, for us because, you know, we needed a, a software that can like help us with like not just managing the client's information, not just the sales funnel, but we need to do matching, we need to call coordinate dates, you know, we need to get feedback. Subsequently, we realized that there wasn't anything out there in the market. We needed to develop it ourselves, and we did. And I think we are really blessed that Jamie, even though he doesn't have an IT background, but he did uh, work as, a, as an IT analyst before, you know, we started a business together. And uh, so, you know, we managed to find an outside vendor, and then, you know, like he, he told the vendor like, all our needs, and then we, we managed to get it up. Our CRM is called Soul Seek, so S-O-U-L-S-E-E-K. Oh. And it, it has been amazing, you know, like, uh, invaluable because you know obviously um, you can do the whole manual system when you are first starting out when you have like 20 members 30 members you know but once you have like you know over 100 and then now we are like thousands like it's impossible to try and manage it manually that has been really good to help us to manage the, the whole entire uh, process you know from the client inquiring you know all the way to like uh, eventually you know the client uh, finding success how we ended up getting into technology was that there was some time in 2006-2007, so that was like, you know, three years after we first started the business. Of course then, you know, like the online dating market was heating up. Match has been around for a while, but that was then, it got really popular. And then, you know, you have other sites like um, eHarmony and things like that. And of course, we, we saw a trend that, you know, people are like using more and more of uh, the internet to do like um, different things, you know, other than work, right? And we, we felt that we definitely need to have a part of that uh, space as well. And and that's how we started Eterac. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. <laughs> that's how I came in as an investor. Yes. Truth be told, we done the deal in 15 minutes. So if somebody <laughs> would ask me about example of how founders actually get me to invest within 15 minutes, Violet is the example. <laughs> Thank you. But the proposition was very clear at that point in time. Yeah, so, but I think unfortunately, Eterac didn't work out the way that we thought it, it would. Like, but it um, gave rise to something else. Exactly, exactly. So the idea behind Eterac was like, we're like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, like singles could like play games online, you know, like get to meet, know each other through that process. And then we had like um, the 
online speed dating where you know like rather than you know having to go out and meet like 10 or 20 people you know like you know you just stay at home talk to everybody like five minutes if you don't like the person the person will like get out of your face and then you can continue talking to the next person so that was the idea of um, interact and then we wanted to uh, use the subscription model that, which was very popular with like say match.com or eHarmony but through through the whole process of like building interact and also acquiring users and going through that we then realized that in Asia people are actually not as open to paying a subscription just to be able to message each other that was what that eventually gave birth to eSynchrony which is something that we are really proud of because I think it was we, we managed to find a model that is really a sweet spot for our market so we realized that you know like in Southeast Asia or even Asia people want a bit more they, they not only just want to be able to chat with each other they want to make sure that at the end there's actually an outcome the outcome you know in this case would be a date because you know like I, uh, I always say you know if you're going to get married to someone right you need to at least meet up once in person and that's why you know, like that meeting up in person is so important with eSynchrony uh, what we have done is that after them going through a, a quiz uh, a personality quiz that takes them um, 30 to 45 minutes they have to answer like more than 100 questions they'll be given compatible matches and uh, with those matches they can then find out a bit more about each other through a very structured Q&A session and after that they still want to meet up with each other our dating consultant will actually make sure that date happens this has worked out really well we launched it in Singapore and then we launched it in Hong Kong and all the other uh, countries that we are in and uh, it, it has done really well it has grown many times in a, a very short time. Lunch actually has evolved from an offline dating company to a full stack company actually that combines offline and online. I know that because I hear all the updates every other week. <laughs> so one thing I want to do is want to get you to describe a little bit about the different dating services and the business models that how each service actually operate within the group. I think you talk about the traditional business lunch actually yeah. which is now the lunch actually group mm -hmm. and there is eSynchrony mm -hmm. and then also the latest you also got into mobile with lunch click. Yeah. Maybe we'll start off with lunch actually. Mm -hmm. How does the business work and how do you help to match singles from both genders based on lunch dating? Okay so lunch actually is the traditional bread and water business. So how it works is that clients would actually inquire be it, uh, over the phone or on our website and then we'll invite them to our office for a chat. So that's where we find out a bit more about who they are, what they are looking for. Um, should we have matches based on that, we will then offer them a membership package. So a membership package would be like on number of dates, you know, it could be like a three dates package, five dates package, ten dates package. After that, we will start looking for their first match. Once a match is found, our dating consultant will contact both parties to arrange the date and then we will book the restaurant. So all they need to do is just to show up at the restaurant, get to know each other better. After the date, we will also contact them again to get their feedback, to ask them how they go, you know, how could it be better. And from that feedback, then we'll move on move on to finding their next match. I recall you talk about the social mission at the earlier stage of yeah. this interview. What does it mean after people who have matched? I'm sure over the years, 12 years, you have done many, many matches. What is it like when it works? And what is it like when it fails? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. We, we did a quick count recently and then, you know, for the entire group. So for the large actually group, it encompasses like all our uh, different services. We have actually sent out more than 63,000 dates. Yes, like that's a lot of dates. There, there have been a lot of success stories. We, we have been invited to people's weddings. That's really, really nice. And a lot of clients have become friends as well. I've become their Facebook friends as well. And then, you know, I see them putting, posting photos of them getting married or like even having kids. That's really very fulfilling. You know, I always say that I, I don't think there's any other career in the world that's like so fulfilling in the sense that you can play such a big part in someone's lifelong happiness. Um, having said that, you know, of course, there are 
are some uh, not so happy endings as well. So I think the thing about matchmaking is that it's something that's very personal and very emotional and sometimes it can be subjective as well. I mean of course on our side you know we'll do our best based on the client's profile and preferences. In fact you know like in, in our office you know sometimes we'll be so excited we'll be like oh wow you know like uh, this is a match made in heaven you'll be like just so excited for these two to meet right. After that when they finally have met and then you know we'll call them to ask for their feedback and then like maybe one party like the guy would be like oh you know that was such a fantastic date you know like thanks for like making a match and then we'll be oh yes you know and then we'll call the lady and then she'll be like what the heck were you thinking <laughs> so so I mean it's like you know on our side we, we would probably you know have the best intentions because you know there, there's no reason why we would not want to give them a good match but at the same time you know when they finally meet the chemistry is something that we cannot predict that there can be uh, cases where people get really upset uh, with us I, I think it's part and parcel of the business and it's something that we, we have learned to manage and accept our focus is really on making sure you know each and every day is a quality match and hopefully from there you know like uh, it translates to something more How about e-synchrony? What does the service do and how does it help the rest of the businesses? Okay so why we came up with e-synchrony, I mean, of course, you know, like just now we talk about, you know, from Interact and then we, we found that, uh, what are the missing links. But at the same time, I think with e-synchrony is that because the lunch actually price point in terms of investment from a you know, singer's point of view, like it, it might be quite high. So it's something for like maybe someone who is already quite established in their career and you know, like they are in a stage in their life where they are comfortable to part with like say at least a thousand five US dollars for a starting package. So for some maybe some younger singers or for someone who, who might not earn as much, you know, but at the same time, you know, we want to be able to help them find love as well. So that's that's where e-synchrony comes in. So why we can work with more affordable price point for e-synchrony is because it's not like a full service model like lunch actually where our dating consultant actually has to do all the work. So e-synchrony is a hybrid model where it's like half online and half offline. The online part is where the singer will go online, you know, like do the very comprehensive questionnaire and, and then choose their own matches and then like do the initial communication with their potential matches and then once they decide that hey I think you know I want to meet up with this person that's where the dating consultant comes in to arrange the date in, in fact half the work has been done for us you know we just need to do the other half in, even with the feedback we do not do it through calls you know like after they meet up they will come back to the website and then fill up the feedback form this has allowed us to come up with a, a much more affordable price point so we are talking about a package starting from about 200 US dollar yeah, and this have, this has worked very well. So I think we are now able to cater to a much wider audience as compared to just with uh, lunch actually. In fact, it bridges the online to the offline world. Yes, that's and right. And then now you move into mobile because yeah. I'm sure that you hear about apps something called Tinder and etc, etc, etc. So lunch click so I wanted to get a sense because this was interesting when you guys were talking about the app mm. and I have some discussion earlier with mm. you all what lunch click was doing mm. tell me what does the mobile app do what's the intended motivation behind the app mm. okay so one thing about us is like maybe it's a, a ego or pride thing like we are not into the me too things so if you look at all the products that we have done like um, it's never like a me too it's like there is innovation you know like there's a reason uh, behind why we are doing it so of course by the time we started lunch click 
there, there are already quite a number of apps in the market, including Tinder, of course. So we, we were not like very keen to just like create another app just for the sake of it, but we were observing the market and, to, and also find out the needs of the singers. So I started to get some feedback from like some of my girlfriends, you know, like who are single and who are using apps. And, you know, I, I think they do enjoy the convenience of uh, using a, a dating app, but at the same time, they were facing quite a lot of uh, frustrations as well. So some of the frustrations that uh, they found were like things like, you know, they, they have people like just like, sending them like really weird messages. They are obviously, you know, like not looking for a serious relationship. You know, they are just looking for one night stands and things like that. So I think the problem with like maybe existing apps in the market is that nobody sort of stand up and say you know hey you know I'm a serious app like there are so many apps out there and I'm sure you know like in each app there are serious datas and there are non-serious datas as, well, as, uh, as well but it can be very frustrating if you are a serious data and you keep getting all these weird messages from you know people to make things worse quite a lot of them are also getting messages from married men <laughs> yeah so, so it's, they are quite upfront about it as well they are just like oh I just want to let you know I'm married you know but it, it gets very disheartening after a while and like quite a number of my girlfriends they, they got very disillusioned so I'm like okay you know that's interesting what what can we do for, for this group of people when we first created Lunch Click we, we wanted it to be something that is very friendly for women and being in Singapore I think uh, one of the advantages was that we actually could run through our entire database through uh, ROM Registry of Marriage and the way we've designed the app is also that rather than you know going on a lot of matches a day we actually just do uh, one match a day or like now you know like maybe limited number of matches a day because we, we feel that you know having more doesn't uh, mean that it is good you know sometimes it's actually like quite confusing for the singers as well and and the other thing which we have done which is very shocking to a lot of people is that we have actually killed chat <laughs> so when I tell people that they are like how do you have a mobile dating app that doesn't allow chat so the, the reason we did that was we have been in the dating industry for like by the time we launched the app we have been in the, in the industry for 11 years and we are very clear about what singers want or maybe what singers need and sometimes you know we realize that having open chat might not be a good thing yeah we, we realized that for one um, open chat actually make you vulnerable to uh, scammers Okay, because you know, like a lot of these scammers, they come online and then you know they sweet talk like uh, you know their victims and then you know eventually you know try to scam them. The other thing is like conversations can can get really boring and dry. <laughs> so uh, we realized that a lot of the chats go something like that, like uh, hi, you know, let the guy say hi, the girl say hello, and then the guy say how are you, and then the girl say good, and then the guy say what are you doing, and then the girl say I'm working, and it sort of goes downhill from there. So we are like you know rather than having this like very meaningless chats, you know, why not? Have have a very structured way of getting to know each other. In Lunch Click, we actually have uh, more than a, over 100 questions based on different categories like um, aspirations, like interests and hobbies. So, you know, they can ask each other these MCQ questions and uh, from there they can get to know each other a bit better. And uh, if they actually like the sound of each other based on, you know, the answers and based on the questions they have been getting, then they can actually arrange a date through the app itself. There's a propose a date button. From the propose a date, um, they can actually choose a restaurant, they can actually post timings uh, that they can actually meet up, you know, and uh, once I propose a date to the other party, the pa other party can choose the time and date that they like, or, you know, if they are not free on uh, any of those three available date and time, they can repropose something to me. From there, they actually meet up. So we are probably the only mobile dating app out there that can actually tell you how many dates have actually happened on our app, because mm. um, everything has to be done through our app. Any interesting statistics to share? We, we started in April, 
April last year in Singapore. We, we have had, I would say, thousands of dates uh, happening on our app already. I think one interesting thing is that almost half of the dates were actually proposed by the ladies. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting data point. This is something I thought I should mention because we have this chat and I'm advising you all about the dating app. But I also learned a lot of insights working with you all on the dating app. Mm-hmm. One interesting part about things is that when everybody talks about a dating app, they always try to use what people do in chat apps like Tinder, like WeChat, like WhatsApp, where you try to keep the person within the app. But here, here lies the contradiction, is that people usually live the dating app after they get hitched. So the question, and, and, and this is interesting because you have to figure out how to get the churn and monetize it, which is what you all have figured out. How does your dating app or in general other dating apps like Tinder think about churn in that way? Because the dating industry is unique in that sense that actually the success of your app means the non-usage of the app itself. I think the interesting thing about us is that unlike most dating apps out there where they started off like as a dating app business, we actually started the business from the offline perspective. And I think, you know, like from the very beginning of this interview, what I've shared is why I've gone into this business is because, you know, I like the part that we're actually helping people and we are actually, yeah, helping them find love, right? So when we first started the business, Jamie and I actually had this vision for the company, like even though then we didn't know that we're going to build it to like having all these different pieces in the stack. Our vision is that we wanted to be the most effective dating company in the world. The keyword is effective. And I think that sort of is very interesting. (laughs) If we go back to your question, which is, you know, like the more effective you are, then the faster people would churn. But the value lies in the consumer getting, meeting the social mission. So to you, that is a success, right? Yes. So so for us, it's like, we, we do not see like a business where like, okay, you know, we need to help them, but not help them so much. Like, we, we don't do that. Maybe, you know, like, there might be people in the industry that do that, I'm, I'm not sure. But our focus is really on, like, you know, every match we make, be it on lunch click, be it on e-synchrony, be it on lunch, actually. We really hope that that's the match that we will actually find someone. Mm. Because we, we are in this for the long game, we are in this for the long run, you know, we are not looking to, like, flip our company and then, you know, make... Uh, a couple or tens of millions and that's it. You know, we, we are really building the company. We feel that ultimately it's the reputation, it's the credibility, it is, it's the success rate that's going to bring us far. So, uh, I mean, we have been in this business for 12 years and we have had non-stop like, word-of-mouth referrals from previous clients, from friends. So our, our focus is on being effective. Mm. So... Yeah. We're not so much focused on how can we sort of... That's a very good food for thought. And I, I think one of the things we, we actually been talking a lot about lunch actually service and it's almost a lot of people would have this mistaken view that it's actually only in Singapore. But actually, the lunch actually group has like expanded across Asia Pacific. You are in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. I know you're in Hong Kong. Yes. You're in Taiwan because my friends in those countries told me that they use lunch actually. Mm-hmm. So what is the footprint of lunch actually I'm sure I missed out a few countries mm-hmm. here and there and how do you think about geographic expansion when we first started lunch actually in Singapore in 2004 
we were very clear that we would not be only in Singapore. So from day one, we knew that. Why did we know that is because dating is such a niche industry. There are only 5.5 million people in Singapore. If we want to make a real business out of this, we cannot just stay in Singapore. So with that thought in mind, we expanded out of Singapore very quickly. In a year-ish, uh, we expanded to KL. So I think, you know, like maybe to me that wasn't uh, difficult because I'm actually from KL. Yeah, so I think, you know, in a way it's like homecoming and then I knew people, it's easy to make things work. It took us a, a bit longer to do our next expansion. I've always wanted to work in Hong Kong. So I'm like, okay, you know, like I'll make it work for myself. Like let's expand to Hong Kong. And I think Hong Kong is a market that makes sense as well. The demographics is very similar to Singapore. You know, people are getting married later and later. And a lot of the large actually clientele are actually uh, people from banking and finance. So obviously, you know, Hong Kong is a place that makes sense for us to expand to. But it took us longer because at first we wanted to find a local partner yeah but but we couldn't it, it took us about two years and finally we are like let's, let's just do it and we did so we expanded to hong kong on our own that was in 2008 subsequently we expanded to taiwan but that expansion actually did not work out yeah so we we went in for a year and um, after that we exited market and then um, we went into Indonesia and last year we acquired Meet and Lunch which is um, the biggest um, dating agency in Thailand. So you're now really doing the Southeast Asia expansion as well. What are the challenges in geographic expansion given the dating industry is very local Mm -hmm. and cultural dependent? I'm sure the dating in Thailand is very different from dating in Hong Kong for example and I'm sure it's also different in Indonesia. So how we have dealt with that is that for certain markets like Thailand, Indonesia, like you say, it's very localized. You definitely need to understand the local customs, the local nuances. We went in with local partners. Yeah, so I think that's really important to understand which are the markets that you need a local partner and which are the ones that you don't. So for example, like Hong Kong was a market that we went in on our own and it worked out really well. And do you have to make some changes to your services or to localize to the market itself? Definitely. So I think the, the things that we we really needed to, to tweak mainly were the, the language being used. So uh, I think, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs or like startups would eventually find out that sometimes when you do the translation, like you would probably maybe hire someone to do it or like, but, but the problem is the way it's translated might not really be how the locals actually communicate. Yeah, so then it would come out as very awkward and people would know that, okay, you don't understand my culture. And that's something that we have learned and something that we are working on as well. How does the dating industry operate in three regions? I mean, when people think about Asia, we will mm-hmm. think about China, we think about India, and we think about Southeast Asia. Yeah. In China, let's start from China. Mm-hmm. How's the dating industry like? The dating industry in China is really interesting. The big boys in China right now, Jia Ren, Bai He, and Chen Ai. And recently, Bai He has acquired Jia so many, many years ago, when the dating market started to heat up in China, that was when like these, these three companies, they, they became very big. They all started off as online dating company, but they subsequently uh, have to find other ways to monetize. Because like what I've shared just now, in Asia, people are not willing to just pay you a subscription fee to just uh, be able to message each other. So the three companies took on very different, I would say, journey to uh, monetize. So what Chen I did is they actually went on a phone model. They would call up potential clients and from there they, they have like certain packages. And then Jia Yuan did events. 
and by her was the one that very interestingly went offline. So like by her started setting up like dating agencies like all around China. I think you know like in the last three to two to three years the mobile came in and now people are more open to actually paying for like more online or mobile business. Tell me about India. I mean, India is the most interesting because <laughs> mums know best. Why? Because a lot of my Indian friends got matched made through their mums. So tell me a little bit about India. Honestly, we are not that familiar with the Indian dating market, but have had an opportunity to meet up with some of our Indian counterparts recently. The Indian market right now, there are like probably two or three major players. I think they are quite interesting in the sense that, like you say, you know, mums know best. I, I think for some of the sites, actually, maybe the parents are the one who's actually using <laughs> the sites. And, and I think India is also very interesting because there are just so many different like communities. So I think in India, you know, like they, they actually have so many micro sites or differentiated sites. It's, it's the same site, but they have to cater to like all the different communities. Recently, there have been like some mobile apps that are coming up in India as well. I, I think it is it's getting very interesting because mm. I think the, the younger people now, they are like, okay, you know, maybe I really should try and find someone on my own first because if I can't find someone on my own, then, you know, my parents are going to match with me. So I think that is also helping to bring up the popularity of many of these mobile dating apps. But if you look at China and India, they're two very big continents yeah. of their own and they have a very large population of villains. Yes. You have expanded around Asia, mainly the Southeast Asia, probably Hong Kong, downwards on this side. What is the Southeast Asia market like? The Southeast Asian market is like very diverse. (laughs) Very fragmented. Yes, very fragmented. Is it very city focused? Yes, definitely. We are really more focused on the cities than on the country. Like Malaysia is the only one that we actually have two branches, which is one in KL and one in Penang. But let's say in Indonesia, we are only in the uh, in Jakarta right now. Subsequently, if when we enter like other markets like say Philippines, probably we would be in Manila as well. And of course, Thailand, you have it. Yes, in Bangkok. Have it in Bangkok. Yes. Would you see the same happening? Say like Vietnam, Myanmar, all these. Little other countries as well? Yeah, definitely. I think the thing for the need of a dating service, usually, it's because of urbanization. People just get very busy, you know, like they do not have like many opportunities to meet others. So, obviously, you know, like using a mobile dating app or using a, a dating service, you know, it, it helps them. It helps them to widen their social circle. So, I, I think it would definitely start off with cities first. We talk a lot about dating. I think you give us a very good comprehensive overview. But one of the probably most important things is to talk about women in leadership. So I know because we meet up quite often, mm-hmm. your husband and you are involved in the Rotary Club. Yes. And you spend a lot of significant time on social missions. I mean, mm-hmm. you travel to places like Nepal or some mm-hmm. other places mm-hmm. to actually help build houses, etc. Can you just share some of your experience in these social missions and how do they help you in your development? I started going on social missions when I was working in Citibank. In fact, I was the one who helped them spearhead the regional social mission activities. In City, there's a, something called City Club, which is basically the Staff Recreation Club. And when I was working there, you know, as an MA, we usually are roped in to help in the uh, Staff Recreation Club, and I was the community service chair. I arranged this project with Habitat for Humanity. So we went to Thailand to build a house for the people there. I think that was like an eye-opener. Why do I say that? Is because I, I just feel very touch in the sense that we thought that we are the one going there to help them right because we are there to help them build a house but 
I've, I felt that at the end, like I'm the one who's sort of like being helped. <laughs> Why do I say that? Because it's just so humbling to just see the conditions that people are living in. At the same time, they are still so grateful, they are still so happy. And it just made me like, you know, reflect on my own life and to realize that actually sometimes, you know, like we just complain too much and then we are just so unhappy about this and that. And ultimately, you just need so little to be happy actually. Yeah, and, and I think that was like a big learning point for me. And yeah, and, and then that's why I keep going back because like I feel that they are actually helping me, you know, like even though they give us the privilege of thinking that we are helping them. I guess you still learned about appreciation about the society as a whole yes. and that's why you'll continue to do that yes. as well. The other part I wanted to ask you is about women in leadership. Mm-hmm. You have seen the corporate side and you have also seen the more of the, in the entrepreneur mm-hmm. side. What's your advice for women in leadership with the kind of challenges that they deal with? I get asked this question a lot but I'm not sure is it because I'm in the industry that I'm in. I, I never feel that I have it tougher because I'm a woman. Like, in fact, I, I feel that being a woman is actually uh, an advantage. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. mm. Maybe we should talk about a recent incident mm. that happened. I think you wrote this yes, long yes. post yes, yes. about gender. Yes. Maybe can you talk about it, it and explain exactly what it was about? Okay, so I, I think I, I didn't really write it from the point of uh, gender, but I guess we can see it from uh, that, that, that sense. So recently, I wrote a post about, I, I titled it, Thankful That I'm Not Born Beautiful. Yeah. Why did I write this post? Recently, I was featured in a TV commercial for a very a big international brand. And uh, it has been like shown uh, in a lot of different places and of course on the internet as well. And then I, I, I saw some like not so nice comments. Uh, so basically, you know, like there were people who were like, who were like commenting that I look like this Taiwanese TV personality who is uh, famous for her exaggerated ugliness. Yeah. yeah. This is actually not the first time that I have gotten these comments. Um, actually, uh, a couple of years ago when I was featured in an article uh, in uh, Yahoo Singapore, these comments uh, have surfaced as well. What prompted me to write this article was that I realised that young women, you know, like well, we grow up with, a, a lot of us actually grow up with a lot of insecurities because I, I guess, you know, like women are, it's always like a big thing, you know, like when you when people talk about women, like be it men talking about women or women talking about women, like it's, it's funny, it's like for example, like someone saying that, oh, you know, so and so have a new girlfriend. And the first thing that will come out will be like, so is she pretty? Yeah, if you think about it, you know, it's like, it's, it's just so normal. It's like, you don't even think about it. And I, I think, you know, like that's why a lot of young women, they, they grow up with a lot of self-esteem issues because like, you know, you when you're growing up, you feel very insecure about yourself, you know, like probably like uh, puberty, you put on weight or like, um, you know, you have acne, things like that. So, so I actually grew up having a lot of those insecurity issues because, which, which I have uh, stated in my article, you know, if you were to judge my uh, physical appearance on like the worldly standards, right, like um, I probably would fall under like average or below average because there's this like golden rule or something about uh, how your face should be. Like so the more symmetrical your face is, the more beautiful you're supposed to be. So you know, like I might, you know, I actually like one of my eyes is bigger than the 
other and then you know like basically my face is not very symmetrical at all anyway I wanted to write this article is to share with like uh, young women out there is that it's okay if you're not beautiful you know in fact um, I'm very thankful that I was not born beautiful because even though I did struggle with these insecurity issues when uh, I was a teenager but it then propelled me to actually become a better person because you know like um, I was feeling really resentful of my beautiful friends you know I'm like oh you know why is it that they get uh, so much more attention you know like so much more adoration for something that they did nothing for you know they did not work for it but uh, and why should I be sidelined because of something that I'm not born with I'm a person that don't believe in being a victim because I feel that being a victim is very disempowering so I, I snap out of it very quickly and then I started focusing on things that I could change rather than you know like thinking of how can I become uh, more beautiful which is probably like a lot of work I'm like why not I focus on uh, things for example that how can I be a better friend how can I be, be a better public speaker how can I be, be a better leader um, since then I've been focusing on all of that you know like um, I, I joined a Toastmasters club a public speaking club I took up a lot of leadership positions during my youth I was in a student council and, and a lot of different things and I, I, I'm very grateful for that because because of those experiences because of uh, those things that I did it totally prepared me for the role that I've taken on today because I believe that um, if I had not uh, prepared myself quit myself with those skill sets today like uh, I wouldn't be who I am today yeah, the whole idea of this article was was really to share with young women out there that you know in life there would always be people who put you down you know like who would judge you based on your outside appearance but it really does not matter like what really matters is like um, how you respond to it yeah what happens to your life is really uh, what you do with it i know that you and jamie always talk about creating a culture in mm. lunch actually yeah. and you all spend a lot of time in fact you're visitors zappos and yes. all yes. that and you yeah. really do and i know the retention is very good yeah what are your thoughts in terms of gender diversity? How can that be advanced in modern workplaces? Because I, I give one very interesting example, maternity leave. Yeah. Although, yes, it do give the women four months, but actually the men also should be on maternity mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? In our company, when we first started, we had only one man. That's Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was that for quite a, a while. But now we do have a lot more men. But I would still say in terms of our operations team, it's still predominantly uh, ladies. Mm. So yeah, yeah, like Roslyn, you have the gender diversity problem, but men. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think ultimately it's really, for, I mean from a company standpoint or you know from the founder standpoint, I think it's really creating a workplace which is respectful. From from day one, like when people join the company, like during orientation, like you know, I tell them very clearly that uh, we have uh, zero tolerance for office politics. We don't care how good you are, like you know, if you are seen to be like you know creating problems and playing office politics, you know, out you go. And I think um, that is um, something that uh, people have appreciated very much. And um, also, we are a very mild company culture in the sense that uh, there's no shouting, there's no screaming, you know, like there's no F word. Like, you know, if I'm not happy with someone or like, uh, you know, I need to give them a dressing down like I never do in public, it's like, uh, you know, always take them to a room, talk to them in person. And that's what I expect of my managers as well. I, I think, you know, we're very 
clear like rules of engagement such as this, I think it helps with all sorts of diversity, be it uh, gender diversity or uh, racial diversity. So you know, people understand that you know ultimately uh, it doesn't really matter like you are a guy, you are a girl, you are a different race or whatever. Ultimately, it's really about the mutual respect for each other. I guess this is a lot to think about, and I think. We're going to have this episode on Valentine's Day. Help my audience, Violet. How do they find you? <laughs> How can they find me? They can find me at... They can find me on Facebook. It's Violet Lim. Actually, all my handles on like social media is like Violet Lim. They can find me on LinkedIn. Or they can go to my website as well, my blog. Uh, it's uh, yes, www.violetlim.com. You won the Best Blogger Award for one year, right? <laughs> for your for all your dating industry tips. Yes, yes. So I think there were many different categories. I think I won under the... I can't remember the exact category actually. Yeah, don't worry. I'll find it, I'll find it in the show notes and I'll put it on. <laughs> Thank you. You can find me at bleongcw or at bernaleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Acast. And of course, drop me feedback anytime. And once again, Violet, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Bernard.